Hello everyone, and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Peach of the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland. And occasionally, we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. And it's Rachel that normally ventures into those cases. Which is why it's only occasionally. Yes, and and with any true crime podcast, listener caution is always advised. And today's episode is no exception. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It does mean a world to us, doesn't it, Rach? We love your reviews and we love hearing from you with feedback. We love ideas. Yeah, just get in touch with us and rate us. We love it. Exactly. And if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon. With our lowest tier starting at £1 per month. We release bonus content every month. And the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes. Or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. And just to put it out there, we are having a competition and a live recording in either the second or third week of July. And all you have to do to be part of the live recording and or be entered into the competition is to be a Patreon member on the day that we do the live recording because we're going to do the draw live on air. So please do sign up. If you sign up now, you will definitely be a member for the competition. So please do sign up. Yeah, we're excited. for. Our, we just decided our case yesterday. Um, so I'm going to go away and and do some uh, research on that. And we ordered all of our merch as well. So really excited. Yes, we did. It is exciting times. And we do also as well, if you become part of a Patreon family, we now release episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So if you were a Patreon supporter, you'd be hearing this last week. Time travel, hey? It's amazing. But, But also, you know, if today's not going too well for you, Subscribe, and it could be next week already. Hey. So, Rachel, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Mr. O. How are you? I Well, I'm not too good, actually, listeners, and Rachel, oh. because before we hit record, Rachel was just telling me about how many chocolate biscuits she's just been eating. And oh. I have I have zero chocolate biscuits, so it's not really fair, is it? Guys, not just any biscuits. And I think we should almost create a poll for this, because I love biscuits. But um, they're Tim Tams, so um, they they are an exquisite version of a penguin, uh, which for me on the biscuit range is pretty mediocre, but these Tim Tams have changed my life today. So um, I think that's why Andrew might be feeling particularly depressed, because they're not just any biscuit. They are, yeah, an, an, an Australian delicacy. And do you know what blew my mind when I learned what Tim Tams and penguins really are? Oh, they are is a big bourbon biscuit covered in chocolate. Oh, yeah. There you go. Double chocolate in the case of the Tim Tams that I am completely obsessed with right now. Yes. 
Guys, I promise you we are not sponsored by Tim Tams, but if that deal were to come through, I would be the size of a house and you would have to be rolling me around uh, to get me places. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I was going to, I wrote our Patreon episode yesterday and I was going to originally do it on a theft of some jammy dodges and I changed my mind. So I should have done really. Come um, on, that would have really been clutching at straws for like episode content. Yes, possibly. But anyway, the bigger question is, Rachel, are you ready for some true crime? I've got my Tim Tam in hand. I've got a good amount of water here. Let's go. Right then. So if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'm taking you back to the 14th of January 2016 and we're in Helmshaw, which is in the county of Lancashire. It's known for its historical significance in the textile industry. Helmshaw lies nestled in the Rossendale Valley in Lancashire and the village is connected to Manchester and the M66 motorway via the A56 road. And on the 14th of January 2016, I want to take you to around 8pm in the evening, Rachel. And the temperature was around 4 degrees Celsius, which is 39 degrees Fahrenheit. And the wind was quite strong that evening, clocking in at 22 miles per hour. Snow lay on the ground from a previous snowfall, but at the time it wasn't snowing. But you know, it's 8 o'clock in the evening in the middle of January in the north of England. If anyone was expecting anything else, I'd be very surprised. And now I'd like to introduce us to Sadie Hartley. She was 60 years old a successful businesswoman who, at the time, was working as a communications director. Sadie had a comfortable life and a happy life from all accounts. She lived in a detached home on Sunnybank Road that was worth a cool half a million pounds, Rachel. And she shared that home with a long-term partner, Ian Johnston, who she'd been seeing for 11 years. But at times, the relationship was on and off. But she... They had been together for 11 years. Even though this episode is like about a crime that was, well, assuming a crime. Well, of course it's a crime. It's a true crime podcast. Even though this episode was about crime committed nearly seven years ago. Oh, yeah, seven years ago. Half a million pounds for a house seems extortionate, doesn't it? But now, like in 2023, that's just like average, isn't it? You know, £500,000 house, like. You know, for you to kind of live in and raise a family, it's uh, it's wild how um how things have changed, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. A few more years, and it would cost that price for a packet of penguins. <laughs> Tim Tams. Yes, but Sadie, Sadie loves traveling. She loves skiing, walking, and horse riding. She had six brothers and sisters who she was very close with because they'd been brought up in a small council house in Newark, in Nottinghamshire. But she would often tell people how happy she was when she was growing up. Her mum was a stay-at-home mum, and her dad was a long-distance lorry driver. She would tell people that every year their parents would make Christmas time special, and they would save their money up every year so they could have a day trip to Skegness, where Sadie and her siblings would build sandcastles, paddle in the sea, and enjoy the fun of the fair. So that sounds like a nice upbringing, doesn't it? Blissful. And like, you know, obviously it was probably quite cramped in that council house, but the mum was, you know, raising a family um, together and making sure that everyone had a great time and had like some great lived experiences. Hey? Exactly. Now, while her home was a happy home and loving home growing up, Sadie was ambitious. And she had the intelligence to match the ambition that she felt. When she left school, 
She studied for a degree in biology and microchemistry at Brighton before going on to work for a company owned by Johnson and Johnson. You know, the famous yeah. massive company. Yeah, best known for what talcum powder, yes. earbuds, all sorts in the UK at least. And she had various positions within that company, but whatever position she found herself in, she excelled and she brought value to the role. In 1993, she had twin children with a then husband, but now ex. They were called Harry and Charlotte. And seven years later, she left her role to start her own business up, Hartley Taylor Medical Communications, with her best friend at Shimei University, Julie Taylor. Julie would describe her by saying this. Sadie was a very driven lady within her work, had very little breaks, and worked for the one company. She had a very big role. Most people working within the pharmaceutical industry have a passion for it. Sadie had a drive for it. She took very little time off for maternity leave. She couldn't wait to get back to work. That was Sadie. She had that desire to make a better place. So Sadie loves horses, Rachel. And she loved them so much that she rode them through places like Marrakesh, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Chile. And she'd also undertaken a two-week horse ride coast to coast in Argentina. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Sadie was now 60. She'd been successful in life, so she didn't really want for anything. And she was looking ahead towards her retirement to enjoy the twilight of her life. Absolutely. Sounds like it would be a well-spent retirement as well with her hobbies. Yeah, and it was, it was her love of horses that led her to go out that evening on the 14th of January to see her horse and ride it a little. Before returning home to enjoy the evening, her partner, Ian Johnston, was away on a skiing trip in Switzerland. And a trip that Sadie was supposed to go on with him, but for whatever reason, she didn't join him at the last minute. And so uh, she was so she was home alone. I've just twigged this case. Yeah, I know, I know, I know which case this is. Do you? I do, yeah. Oh. Really tragic case. Oh, really? Well, is this a famous case? No, I wouldn't say famous. I just think it really hit hard because it was just really savage what happened um so yeah I, I remember there being a lot of press around the time and you know certain cases just get a lot more publicity don't they um and it was just after Christmas yeah like 14th of January like you say so um yeah I just think I, I wouldn't particularly say it's well known I just remember it so okay right, okay it'd be interesting to see what you think I've done then yeah. so at around 8 p.m that evening Sadie Silver went and as you'd expect, she went to answer it. And once she answered it, she was immediately hit with a shock as she'd been hit with a 500,000 volt stun gun without any warning. So she immediately then fell to the floor and her assailant proceeded to savagely attack her, stabbing her 41 times in total until she lay dead in a pool of her own blood in the hallway at her house. After she had been killed, her killer fled, leaving Sadie lying there once the killer had fled, they met up with an accomplice. Accomplice, sorry, and gave the stun gun, knife, and other items that could link them to the scene of the crime to dispose of. The following day, Friday the 15th of January, the people worked with and for Sadie, they began to worry Rachel. It was highly unusual for her to firstly not show up for work, but secondly, to not make any contact or be contactable. When they couldn't make contact with her, they reached out to the local police, expressed their concerns, 
and ask them to conduct a welfare check on Sadie. How so amazing what, is it that she had such an amazing network of people? Like, I mean, obviously, uh, for those that don't know, spoiler alert, you know, she, she has died. Uh, she was left by a killer overnight. And, you know, by the time the alarm is raised, you know, but it, it's quite swift action, isn't it? Like some people may, may not yeah. have thought anything of it, left over the weekend for her husband to have, have, have discovered her. True, yeah. Well, the police didn't turn up to the evening, but it was swift action by them contacting the police, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when the police did arrive at Sadie's home, they found her front door open still, and Sadie laying there dead in the hallway just inside the door, surrounded by her own blood. Now, it only took the police two days to make an arrest and a further day to make a second arrest. So... I guess you know the answer to these questions. I didn't know think you'd know this case, but why had this seemingly work-focused, world-like family woman been killed so savagely? And by who, Rachel? But you know. Yeah, I won't, I won't spoil it for our listeners, and I'll let you disclose that, but I think this is just yet another example of an absolutely awful, horrific, and so pointless crime um, in which a wonderful woman lost her life. Yes. So let me introduce you to the two people directly responsible for her death. Sarah Williams, who was the person they arrested first, and she was 34 years old at the time of her arrest, and Katrina Walsh, who was 55 years old at the time of her arrest. Williams was a ski instructor who had been in a relationship for the past 17 years with David Hardwick when she met him when she was 17 and he was 57. It wasn't your normal type of relationship. It was what you'd call a sugar daddy relationship. And I put this in here because I honestly don't know. What's the name for the person on the other side of that relationship, Rachel? Is it a sugar baby? Um, I actually don't don't know if there's an official title. Um, that would make sense, though, from the terminology sugar daddy. It would yeah. be sugar sugar baby. But um, no, I've never never officially like heard it referred that way. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter. But we all know it was that type of relationship uh, that the sugar daddy David, he was already married. And Sarah would often have flings with other men as well. David would openly admit that it was a financial relationship and he'd often pay for up to 12 holidays a year for them both. Wow. Along with giving Sarah a £320 a week allowance. And he also gave her £75,000 towards buying herself a house. So he was a proper sugar daddy, wasn't he? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and quite an age difference, though. Like um, seventeen and fifty-seven, 30, for forty 30, years. Forty years, Jesus. Yeah. Sorry for my poor maths, there, guys. Um, yeah, forty years. That's uh, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah. You could essentially at forty, you could be a grandfather to a yeah. really, couldn't you? Of course, you can. So, yeah. So yeah, that's um, that's scary. Katrina. The other person who was arrested and involved in the murder was older than Sarah. And she was a horse riding instructor. In fact, that's how she met Sarah. Sarah was just 12 and Katrina gave her horse riding instructions. Horse riding lessons. Lessons. I don't know why I put instructions there. I'll leave that in there. I don't know why I put instructions there. Yes, here is how you ride a horse. I think um, it's good. Read I... it, please. Get on the horse and I will see you in a couple of years. I think it's because I'm, I wrote horse riding instructor and instructor. I just wasn't thinking, yeah. Brilliant. At least it shows I write my own words. And, <laughs> well, the pair had remained good friends since then. 
Katrina was single. She had once been married, but in 2008, she divorced her husband after he had left her for a younger woman. And it was then that Sarah and Katrina became really close, with Sarah providing the emotional support that Katrina needed at that time. So the question is, why did these two women kill Sadie when they didn't even know her personally? What's the connection, I, yeah? I did put, can you have a guess, but don't guess, Rachel, because you know the answer. Again, yeah, I'm not going to guess, but um, no, it's it's very interesting. So I will let you proceed. Yes. I hope everyone out there is guessing. <laughs> so in order to answer that question, though, we have to go back to 2011. Sarah wasn't a ski instructor back then. She worked part-time in a bank, and she had gone to the indoor ski centre in Manchester called Chill Factor to learn how to ski. Her skiing instructor was Somapat Sitwijana, and he was married. But that didn't bother her, because she was already having a sugar daddy anyway. So she began an affair with him. His name was Somapat Sitwijana, but everyone knew him as Master A. So that's how we refer to him from this point onwards. So well, was... it'll do you a favour, won't it? Yes, it will. The affair didn't last long, because his wife found out about it when Sarah visited his home. May of 2012. And after they had broke up, Sarah Master A, that is, not Master A and his wife, they decided, because they decided to stay together, so after they had broke up, two weeks after, Sarah wrote a letter to Master A's wife to tell her that her husband was a scumbag and to tell her that she was pregnant. And she wasn't pregnant, Rachel. But when she wrote the letter, she even included a baby scan image. And an image wow. that she, yeah, an image that she'd gotten from a friend who was actually pregnant. So that's extreme measures, isn't it? That is, and it's like for Master A, that's just not. Um, that can't have been like pleasant for him. The range of emotions you go through, thinking, "Gosh, I've fathered a, a child to someone who's not my wife, and what am I going to do? And how am I going to support the child? And you know, all the things that he would naturally be panicking about and running through his head, all for." You know, just some sick joke. That's awful. Sarah then went back to the ski centre and exchanged numbers with another ski instructor under the guise of receiving ski instructions. But she didn't get ski lessons from the instructor. Instead, she began having an affair with him. Now, Someone this, doesn't care, does she? No, this ski instructor was called Ian Johnston. And by the time that she, the affair had started, he had been with Sadie for seven years, roughly. So the pair's affair continued until around June of 2014, when Ian, sa Ian said he ended it as Sarah was clingy, paranoid, and delusional. And had her relationship with the sugar daddy finished by now as well? No, no, it was still going on, all the way up to oh, the murder. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. So, um, so yeah, I guess this she was in, like, a, a more sexual relationship. Um, yeah. With him and uh, the sugar daddy was just bankrolling her for, you know, her lifestyle, if you like. But um, so, yeah, she became quite clingy to Ian then. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. He said he ended it because she was clingy, paranoid and delusional. Now, wanting Ian to, and she wanted, sorry, she wanted Ian to end his relationship with Sadie. And thinking, as she thought that he would, that's why he said she was delusional because he, it was just sexual to him. Mm-hmm. Now, just because their sexual relationship ended in June of 2014, it didn't mean that they stopped contact with each other. But that was inside of it, though. So another theory is that the affair ended because Sarah sent Sadie a letter 
Does this sound familiar, Rachel? Yeah. Uh, Sarah sent a dear letter, a copy of which I will pop on our social media channels, by the way, for people to read. So it did exist. And in the letter, she outlines to Sadie that Ian isn't in love with her, that he loves Sarah, and that he's only staying with Sadie because she is buying him, basically. So because Sadie's rich, Ian wants to stay with her for the money. She went on to talk about in the letter, into detail about having sex in Sadie's house with him, what that sex was like, and then listing why she's trapping Ian in a loveless relationship. I mean, yeah, she's not doing herself any favours. She's playing right into that um, crazy kind of like hand that that Ian's already said you know she's she's got those kind of behaviors on but um but yes. yeah poor poor Sadie because you know she's like caught up in the middle of it now having to deal with this like woman who's having you know essentially an emotional meltdown because her her, her affair is ending so she's deciding to just throw the all the, the dirty details at the at the poor wife yeah well the alternative theory is that the affair only ended because she sent the letter. And mm. so and So yeah, he got found so, out and then he promised his wife. Well, he promised Sadie that he'd stay with her and end end the affair. And I think mm. I think it seems more plausible that the affair ended when Sadie received that letter because Ian simply didn't want to break up with Sadie. Mm. And remember he also kept contact with Sarah. So if she she was really clingy, paranoid and delusional, would you keep contact with someone? Yeah. Well, I don't know, actually. Like, okay, so I've obviously never been in a situation where I've had an affair. But what I would say is that, you know, I've seen a lot of, like, drama on TV, for instance, and, and you know, red books, and things usually play out where the, the people that are having the affair, certainly the people that try and break it off, try and do so gently instead of just going completely cold turkey because they are worried about the repercussions they might face if they block and delete someone. So... Yeah, they still message them and say, hey, how are you? Hope you're okay. And for the other party, obviously, they're clinging on to the hope that, oh, they still care about me. But that the the guy or the girl in the situation that's breaking it off is almost doing it just to, like, do it gently. And, like, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that, that that was what happened here, but I'm saying I, it wouldn't surprise me that kind of behavior in certain situations. Yeah, no, I see what your point. That wasn't what happened here, but I, I see your point. Yeah. Because I mentioned that it's have contact with each other because I remember Sadie knew, so it's not about breaking it off gently, because Sadie got the light, didn't she? And they didn't stop contact with each other because even though Sadie, because this is when actually Ian and Sadie moved into their house on Sandy Bank Road to start afresh, basically. And oh. even though they did, the contact that they carried on, Ian carried on sexting and exchanging intimate photos with Sarah throughout, even up wow. to a few days before she killed Sadie. Wow, so when he was on holiday, he was still entertaining yes. her? Yes, basically. He was uh, He was still sending pics of his, and, you know what. And this is the thing, like, at the time, I remember reading the story and about, like, the the murderer and you know all of this kind of stuff is not the kind of detail that you you get you get sometimes because obviously the the court case happens and you know and that's when all the all the detail comes out for you to be able to write this case is probably because a lot of this information was presented in court but um but that's why it's interesting i didn't understand the full picture and i and i did think at the time and my opinion was he had an affair he'd done wrong and and she was out to get him 
by killing his wife instead of actually, yeah, he was still stringing her along and and this was her, I guess her reasoning was, well, I'll take your wife out of the picture and then me and you can live happily ever after. Yeah, exactly. And the killing wasn't even a spur of the minute thing though, Rachel. Sadie first spoke to her friend Katrina in June of 2014. So when she sent that letter, after she sent that, and she described Sadie to her friend as an evil bitch, and she asked Katrina to help her commit the perfect murder with her so that Sarah and Ian could be together and mm. they could be rid of Sadie. Wow. I mean, as a as an older woman as well, she should have really known better, shouldn't she? If, like, you know, I'm your friend and I want to help you out, but that is not be that is not behavior a i'm going to tolerate and b i'm going to encourage from you like that's a bit nuts this older woman has um has helped to facilitate the murder you would think so yeah but katrina actually readily readily agreed to help her friend and she considered it almost like a game and over the months they discussed and plotted various ways that they could kill sadie wow. to begin with they bought a tracker and they attached it to ian's car this was so they could locate the home that they both now shared, because remember, they'd, they'd moved. They also bought a second-hand car, and they altered the f- plates to make them fake plates so they could scope out the house and follow Sadie without being detected. Mm. They bought burner phones to talk to each other on, and at one point, Katrina contacted her ex-husband, who was a biker, to see if he would meet them both so they could hire him to kill Sadie. He never actually met them because he was suspicious that what they wanted was too serious. So he just didn't turn up to the meeting. Not surprised. And like that's like the behaviour of a normal human being. Although if he was truly concerned, he'd have called police as well, in my well, opinion. But... He didn't he didn't know what they wanted. What happened is Katrina. No, but I, yeah. I bet. I bet they've said something. Sorry to interrupt you, but I bet they've said something along the lines of, "If you if you're in on this, you're never allowed to tell anyone about what we've what we're doing." No, what Katrina actually said to him was, "I want you to meet my friend Sadie, Sadie, because she wants to use your considerable skill set." That to me sounds a bit like taken, but that's what they said to him, and um, also playing to his ego, isn't it? Your yeah. considerable skill set. I know, probably because he's a biker, and they thought he was some sort of killer, but. Yeah, so he didn't turn up. So I guess you couldn't really go to the police no. and say, hey, they yeah. want to use my skill set. Hey, hey, guys, right, though, I, what I would say is if something doesn't feel right, then usually, like, your gut is telling you something. And Yeah, I get it, walking into a police station saying two girls are, like, telling me that they want my incredible skill set, like, but I'm worried. You know, can you just, I don't know, observe, keep tabs? I don't know. I'm betting you, after some time, he's definitely felt guilt yes you'd imagine so but a month before sadie was killed they both traveled this katrina and sarah to germany together to buy a stone gun now sarah was initially disappointed when she was informed by the shop assistant that the stone gun she wanted one that could produce one million volts was out of stock (laughs) so she had to make do with the next model down the one that would only produce five hundred thousand volts you would be fuming though you travel like i mean just uh, probably not an episode for a little bit of human but just to put into context travel all the way to germany to get something and, and they're out of stock yeah, that would be, be annoying wouldn't it it would be a touch yeah they also bought baggy clothes and hats each along with oversized boots 
so they could disguise themselves on any CCTV or any footprint traces. A week before Sarah killed Sadie, she actually turned up at Sadie's house with some flowers, pretending to be a flower delivery woman, just so she could confirm what Sadie looked like up close and try over and go into her house and then leave him. Sadie, when she turned up with her flowers and left, Sadie had even sent a text to Ian, who was by now already in Switzerland on a skiing trip, telling him that a woman had just turned up at her door with some flowers, but was unable to tell her who they'd come from. That'd be pretty odd, wouldn't it? Yeah. On the night of the murder, everything seemingly went to plan for the pair of killers. Sadie turned up at Sadie's house, killed her quickly and left, before meeting up with Katrina to give her the knife, stone gun and other items of evidence to get rid of. Did so, they meet up like in the car, like down the road? Or was it like back at home? It wasn't at home. I'm not sure. They went she went somewhere to meet her. I'm not sure where they, oh, right, she went okay. to meet her, but it wasn't it wasn't at either of the homes. Okay. But Sarah, after that, Sarah actually then went back to her house and she scrubbed it clean with bleach after cleaning herself to get rid of any evidence. Once Katrina had all the items of evidence, she removed a bit from the stun gun that makes the contacts with the person and she hid the phone, the bits of the stun gun, the knife and other items in various places around the farm that she worked on, mainly under different piles of manure. So, Rach, yeah, as far as the pair were aware, they removed all traces of evidence. Sadie wasn't even found until the evening of the day after. Ian had no idea what was happening, so they were in the clear, as far as they were aware. Now, obviously, though, I'm telling you this, so it means they were not in the clear, and you knew communicates anyway. And by the time of the 16th, in the evening, so two days after the killing, they had arrested Sarah on suspicion of murder, with Katrina arrested the day after. So now you know, everyone, who killed Sadie. You know how, and you know why. Can you figure out how they got caught? Do you remember, Rachel? I'm going to, I mean, I would I would be going down this route if I didn't have a vague memory of the case anyway, but I'm going to guess CCTV. So I'm guessing that they were caught, like, the car, the purchase of the flowers, the travel. You know, it, they'd probably just not thought about, like, their digital footprints. Actually, no, you're wrong. Um, um, no, I'm not having that. They they were firstly, they were suspecting Sarah simply due to her behaviour in the past. Sadie had never actually thrown that letter out from Sarah. So they started off with that as evidence. Okay, let, let's just re-record this bit then. I'll just come up with the <laughs> crazy behaviour of Sarah. <laughs> because you remember, Sadie was, we say it all the time, but she was genuinely, it seems, that she was loved by everyone. So when they spoke to Sadie's family, it was like, no, no one dislikes her. I was like, well, hang on, we've got a letter here from a woman calling her a bitch and whatnot. So let's have a look at this woman. Yeah, start here. Exactly. So that's why they initially arrested her on suspicion of murder. And obviously when they arrested her, then they could examine her house. And she had actually forensically cleaned it with bleach from top to top bottom. Which is a major red flag for yes. police. Except, and they didn't even see this on it at first, but on a second look, the police found one very small, tiny trace of Sadie's blood in the bathroom. Wow. And because up until that point, they thought it had nothing at That's all. That's all it in, takes, so a yeah. tiny speck. Yeah. Exactly, linking the two together. And then secondly, 
They also found underneath Sarah's bed a Nokia mobile phone hidden. Mm, Burner phone. Yeah, so when they had this phone, they found calls to a car dealerships on the phone. And importantly, one of the dealerships had sold a blue Renault Clio, the one that the police, because the police had CCTV, but Mm -hmm. they couldn't trace the car in it. And Mm. the blue Renault Clio, it was a one that the police had seen on the CCTV. And the reason Mm -hmm. they couldn't trace the car was because Sarah had used sticky tape to turn a three into an eight on the number plate. Mm. But the police were able then to track that car down to a car dealership 55 miles away. And when they seized the car, they found lots of traces of Sadie's blood in the car. So it actually looked like it had all been cleaned away. But you know what it's like. Once they start looking at a car forensically, they can find the blood even though it looks like it's not there. Oh, absolutely. And again, like there's just new levels of like what these forensic experts are looking for that you don't know about, you know, that aren't on the CSI um, television shows and and all of that. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can say you've committed the perfect crime, but. It's, it is really fucking difficult, isn't it, in this day and age? It isn't. Just, just think about it. I guess they only found a phone when they looked at the house again because they found that minute trace of blood. Yeah. And they didn't find that the first time. So if they hadn't, if she literally would have just, it would have been like one wipe, like she forgot to wipe or something like mm-hmm. that. If she'd have done that, they wouldn't have found the phone and they wouldn't have found the car and she probably would have gotten away with it. Would have been a very different story, wouldn't it? So, but also there was something else. In addition to this, they'd also arrested Katrina the next day, and I believe it was due to the phone. But upon questioning Katrina, Katrina just folded straight away. And she took the police to where she'd hidden the knife, the stun gun, and the car key for the car that I just mentioned. So Katrina did say that she was afraid Sarah was a psychopath and might harm Sadie but she was too afraid of Sarah to report her to the police. She also said that she had a memory problem, so she forgot things after a few days. Now, initially, you know, Rachel, the police believed her. They weren't even sure whether they should charge her with anything or what they should charge her with. That was until they discovered Katrina's diaries. Uh Uh-oh. She had kept detailed diaries writing how excited she was to help how she wanted to plan the perfect murder and how it was a game. Yeah. And how it was a game to her. Yeah. So, so all of that memory crap and fear of her life for Sarah was actually bullshit. Yes. She, she wrote about how she idolized Sarah. And also, as you said, with regards to the memory thing in her diaries, she spoke about things she could remember from weeks before proving Mm -hmm. she could remember past a few days. I, I think that Katrina is also a bit of a psychopath, if I'm going to be honest. Just going to throw that, brand her with that. Yes, yes. Have you seen what she looks like? I can't remember. I did at the time. Yeah, let me, I let me, let me. Sorry, listeners. You're listening to me. You're listening to me. Google searching now, guys. Google searching. I'm just going to share my screen, Rachel, just so you can get the immediate reaction of Rachel's uh, reaction. Oh, my God. I guess you know which wow. one's Katrina. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm also thinking, like, the police probably would have had some sort of pity for her because she comes across as somebody that's quite uh, vulnerable, right? In that photo, at least. Yes. Yes. So there. Um, wow. Suffice to say, I, you are going to put that picture up on our socials, right? I wasn't going to, but I guess I will do it. I, I, I have yeah. to, don't I? Yeah. 
Suffice to say, while they both pled not guilty at trial, they both would be found guilty. With Sarah receiving a life with a minimum term of 30 years to be served, making her 64 when she'd be released at the earliest. Now, I actually fear that her sugar daddy won't be around then, so I don't know what she's going to do for money. And Katrina would receive life with a minimum term of 25 years, meaning she'll likely be dead when she's up for parole, but if not, she'll be 80. Wow, wow. So for the first year or so after the conviction, various news reports would pop up quoting the pair and saying that they were planning an appeal, but so far it hasn't materialised, so it's unlikely to, unless a miscarriage of justice can be proved. So, what do you think, Rachel, of that case? Yeah, I just, again, I think it's just a really tragic, pointless crime of, you know, just showing. And sometimes we see it being men, and in this case, we see it being women, you know, planning and plotting and carrying out a murder that was just completely senseless and awful and horrific for everyone involved, you know, the the victim, but the family. And the people that are left behind. It's just awful. Um, but no, you, you shed a lot of light on things that um that I wasn't aware of at the time and you know, added that kind of like additional information that built the case around like why, why, um why it took place and you know, yeah, it's it's just awful, a really horrible case. It's horrible. And Sadie's family, her two kids, because What's really sad is because the day before she got killed, they didn't notify the family until they didn't find Sadie until the day after the evening, and it was the day after that they notified the family. But um, the day before Sadie got killed, her daughter just got engaged as well. So that's her daughter's memories destroyed for that because obviously it's linked to her mother's death. And, and Ian, her partner... He like refused to take any blame in this whatsoever. He said that it was just some harmless text messages. Her family, say, this family actually kicked him out of the house like the day after. Um, Good. And, but he was saying it's not his fault and blah 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 blah. But well, he he know. brought this woman into their life. Yeah. Like Sadie would still be alive if he and, hadn't have and like, he con- had the affair. And he continued. Remember, she wanted to kill Sadie because she wanted them to be together. Mm-hmm. Now so he, he entertained that. And he continued texting and sexting and yeah. sharing photos, which would have just made her think that, oh, hang on, he does want to be with me. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 sending mixed signals to an already confused and erratic and, yeah. quite frankly, scary woman. So, yeah, he's, he's completely entertaining the idea of a life with Sarah and um, putting Sadie even more at risk. Yeah, he was complaining that he now has to live in a hostel and... He's homeless, but I have no sympathy for him. Yeah, he, and he, fair enough, he lost his partner, and it must be awful for him to have come back and you know realized what happened and you know absolute turmoil in his life. But he made some decisions that ultimately could have led him onto the streets anyway. You know, if, if Sadie Sadie could have made a decision not to carry on bankrolling him and to have, you know severed ties with him, so exactly. You know. And he was also upset because he found out that Sadie had changed her will and she didn't leave anything to him. After 2014, when she got that letter, I bet. That probably was, yeah. But yeah, so... Um, oh, and, and if we can just, like, end the episode, you know, focusing on Sadie. Yes. What a woman. And, you know, I, I think the fact that you, you mentioned it, obviously, the following day, 
her colleagues and her friends thought something was up. Like I've I have a great circle of friends and I, and they are fantastic and I love each and every one of them. But I'm not sure if not hearing from me or, or necessarily even seeing me physically in the office would alert them to be that concerned about me. And you know, she must have been such a wonderful woman for people to be like, something's not not right here. And yeah, for exactly. them to have, have acted so swiftly. Exactly. If your boss doesn't turn up for work on a Friday, most people be like, "Awesome, I've got an easy day on the last day of the week." But yeah, so yeah, you're exactly. That's why I I put longer than normal on talking Mm -hmm. about Sadie because just the build up that she had, like from poor, poor upbringing to to going and studying, being so successful, so much. Yeah, being so successful. I'm just being so loving. Yeah, it, it shows that she really had, like, fulfilled and had a great life. Mm. So let me wrap this up then, Rachel, shall I? This has been Season 3, Episode 8, called The Perfect Murder. And if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. It's the evening in winter. It's cold outside. It's dark. And it's unappealing to most. So when your front doorbell rings, you know that you wasn't expecting anyone. Who could it be? Should you answer it? Should you answer it indeed? Indeed. Okay, so thank you, everyone. Don't forget, if you become a Patreon member, you can be part of our competition to win some exclusive merchandise and also Mm. see our lovely faces. And we can't edit a live episode, so you see me mispronouncing words like it and the... And you get to be part of the conversation. I can promise you he will make sure that um, he knows what he's doing during the live, though, and not be like, oh, I don't know what, don't know what's going on here. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Oh, no, thanks, guys. It was a great episode. Thanks, Andrew, for bringing it to us. Thanks, all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.